so Noah is heading down to Arkansas this weekend for JMU heading to Arkansas State. Coming off a, in some ways, very impressive victory against Texas State that they blew them out. They handled the rain well for the most part. But um, in other ways, JMU didn't play all that well. So maybe that's even more impressive that like they you know made some mistakes. They didn't play necessarily their best game, and they still um, you know really didn't struggle with Texas State at all in another Sun Belt game. As the Dukes stay undefeated, uh, heading into their fifth game of the season. Noah, as we begin the Purple and Bold podcast for this week, give me your initial or your 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 number one impression coming off of that Texas State game. That you know, even if you know, I'll, I'll throw it back to somebody we need to. Chris Ignati said, you know, they can't play a C plus game and, and get through with a blowout win like they could in CAA, but kind of played a C plus game and got through against the Texas State. He kind of didn't. I asked him about it yesterday. He didn't really commit to saying it was a C plus game, but. He wasn't happy with the execution for the most part from the offense and it showed, I mean, the weather. So I think that was the biggest impression was they can play a not great game and kind of get by a, a bottom tier Sunbelt team. Yeah, it's um, and he then kind of highlighted too that, you know, he thinks FCS is better than most people think and that, you know, the CAA is a better league than most people think. And, you know, there are some bad teams in the CAA, but when you start talking about anybody who's really kind of a FCS playoff team, you know, maybe there's not a huge difference jumping up to this level other than the depth factor with the scholarships, which wasn't as much of a factor the last couple of years. Yeah, he's he's kind of been on that, you know, train of saying there's not really a big difference between a, a group of five team to a power five. There's not a big difference between it. I guess the, the line's pretty thin when you when you look at it for real. And he talked about, you know, there's some teams in the Missouri Valley, obviously, North Dakota State. They're kind of already an FBS-type team and, and things like that. So, yeah, for sure. I mean – They've played. That's maybe that's why they're playing so well. Is they've had to play these playoff games year in and year out against teams that are really good, and now you're playing these teams every week. But they seem to adjust it pretty well. And I think you know JMU's becoming a prime example too of that. In that you know just how well your program has run can make a huge difference. Yeah. Depending, despite what level you happen to be, because if you look at JMU, um, you know they've got two true freshman cornerbacks playing basically every down the last game um one of the two is out there almost every down the last game that are not guys that were highly recruited at all yet jmu recognized that they were ready to not not only ready to play not only fbs level recruits but were ready to be on the field immediately um they did that you know jalen walker's just a sophomore who's only starting this year because he's only starting because diamante tucker dorsey leaves yep and looks like an all Sun Belt type of player this year, um, so I think maybe you know it just kind of goes to show if you're able to evaluate talent, if you're able to recruit, yeah, there really isn't that big of a difference if you have that kind of staff in place, and there are some programs that do, and you know, I think that I think just JMU existence kind of proves Signetti's point in that regard, um, but. Still, awfully impressive start for JMU to start 4-0 and to do it relatively easily outside of the second quarter at App State. Um, how good is JMU right now? It seems like we act that every every week. but <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a question that gets asked every week. You know, we think, all right, they're, they're 1-0. They got through Middle Tennessee. They're 2-0, you know, 3-0, 4-0. Now it's to the point where, you know, if they're eligible, they're two wins away and they've got seven games left. 
if they could make a bowl game. But they can't, obviously, for, for most, you know, everyone knows that for the most part. But, you know, I think they're playing very well. I think that, you know, they are showing they're a legit contender to win the East title. I yeah. think I think that's not, I think at the beginning of the year it's kind of like a, hey that's the best case scenario now it's like that is a very realistic possibility and that that coastal game at the end of the year could be the, the really the East title game. Yeah, um, since you brought up the bowl games, we'll, we'll get that out of the way now, <laughs> and then we'll get back to um, kind of looking a little bit more at Texas State and Arkansas State. But since you brought it up, that discussion has come up even faster than I think anybody anticipated. Yeah, um, you know. I kind of had a column in the bag uh, about why the transition period exists and everything and wasn't planning on running it for a while, maybe until like they got closer to six wins. But it came, it came up on the Sunbelt teleconference this week. It's been talked about a lot by fans, everything. So I ended up running that. You had you know your story about what Kurt Signetti said. I think other outlets are going to be talking about this yeah. soon. So let's talk about JMU right now is not eligible for postseason. If they win the SBC East, they're not going to the championship game. They're not going to a bowl game. How (laughs) do you think that's something that is possible could change over the course of the season? If JMU continues to play and dominate at the level they have been like, do you think there's any recourse to possibly having some sort of postseason? I think it doesn't hurt to ask. I mean, worst they can yeah. say is no, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, if, if the only reason why I think Jamie would do that is if, you know, you, you get to the end of the year, you're undefeated, close to being undefeated. You're one of the top G5 teams. You've got a shot at making a big-time bowl. I think you do it. But I think if, if it starts, to, if the wheels start to fall off at some point in the year, I, I think they don't. But yeah, I think that if, if they're undefeated or one, well, one lost team then and they can see that they're one of the top teams, I think they might. Yeah, I think that's going to be a big factor It's just how well JMU ends up doing as the year goes on because for number one, like I, I agree with you, they'll, they'll ask and the pressure on the NCAA to maybe make them eligible only increases if they're one of the better teams in the country. Um, and I think, you know, number one, if they're in that mix for a major bowl game, then it sort of starts to become in the Sunbelt's best interest to throw any of their weight behind any appeal to get in there because you're talking about a major payday for the conference and the first time getting into one of those access bowls. If JMU continues to be one of the highest ranked group of five teams. Um, So that, that will be a factor. Um, If JMU, you know, ends up being just solid and we're talking, you know, seven, eight wins, then I don't know how much JMU wants to push for that because then they, they still have to, make an appeal as, as always was planned that in December, they're going to appeal for a waiver for next year, which they've had plenty of confidence they will get. And that next year will basically be the end of the transition, but that still has to happen. And I think you've got to kind of make sure you're playing nice with the NCAA to make sure that that happens because that's an even bigger deal probably in the long run to try to get past that. Yeah. I mean, you don't want to get caught in a greedy situation where you know you say I want to play now, but we also want to do this. If you deny that, they could just end up denying. Well, not saying that they would, but they still need to you know get the appeal done to be eligible next year. Yeah, and as awesome as a bowl would be for the fans, for the players, and the coaches, and everything, like if we're talking about a minor bowl game 
as JMU is still trying to establish itself as an FBS program, if you're talking about a more minor bowl game, there are some advantages to being done in November. Um, there's some advantages to the way JMU schedules are set up in particular. They've already had one big recruiting weekend with a bye week. They have a second one this year, which, as you know, Sean Clark pointed out, the App State coach on the teleconference yesterday, with their midweek games, they don't really have one of those like bye weeks where they're just taking the whole week to like recuperate and get out on the yeah. road recruiting and everything. Jamie's got two of those. That's pretty big. If you're done in November, after having a successful season, that you can go sell. The road you're, you're on the road recruiting. You're you know really hitting it before that uh, early signing period. Yeah, that's another like advantage for JMU in some regards, especially if you're like, hey, we were successful this year. There's a reason we're not playing a bowl game, but we're at your high school right now. You know, when those other guys aren't, and you know that's something probably that will come into play if we're not talking about you know the Cotton Bowl for JMU. Yeah, I mean, like you know, they're used to. Re- I mean, if if say they don't play in a bowl game this year, they're recruiting earlier than they normally are because you know last year they're playing through December and their early signing period came and gone, and they're still playing. Yeah, and so I think you know at this point it's, that might be helpful. I mean, we've seen their recruiting take off a little bit you know i don't know if you want to talk about it but we they landed a uh a five five star long snapper over the weekend yeah yeah i, ha- I haven't exactly found out where the long snappers are rated but they're on um, rated by coles kicking and punting i looked it up he's the number okay. four long snapper in the country it's, okay. a, it's a legit thing because right. the the punter that they landed earlier in the year is a four star through the same company it's like the biggest you know talent evaluator for punters kickers and long snappers awesome okay there you the, go yeah i learned something Okay, we won't harp. <laughs> we won't harp on long snappers, uh, recruiting rankings, or the story or the bowl thing too much right now because there's a long ways to go before JMU even really kind of even begins thinking about. Or they're thinking about it, but before they like Actually, even do. start doing anything in that regard. But we can go back to quick recap of the Texas State game. We we hinted at that there were some issues on the offensive side of the ball. Well, that had to do with the rain. I would imagine, you know, we saw more turnovers than you would expect from a JMU team, just in, you know, fumbles and things like that. Although Latrell Palmer fumbled for the second second time this year, that may be the one major concern when it comes to, you know, ball security for JMU right now. Because that's a guy, that's a guy you want to be carrying the ball the way he's running right now. So you need to be able to trust him to hang on to it. But was there anything else about the offense that, um, you saw as a major concern because, you know, I'm looking, I'm looking at it as they really cleaned up their penalties. First game with no penalties in, I think, what was it, seven years? We've said, um, yeah. So that was, you know, a major improvement in that regard from App State to Texas State. Yeah, it was. I mean, the biggest, you know, concern though, outside of you know maybe ball security and things like that, would be Todd Teo getting hit. You know, he got hit against App, got hurt. A little bit played through it, got hit multiple times against Texas State. Came out at one point for the end of a series, um, so maybe that's another concern. You might want to try to protect him a little bit more in the pocket. I mean, he's good at getting down mostly when he's running, but this was these are some hits he's taking while throwing. Yeah, and that was not really an issue the first two weeks of the season at all, and that probably comes from getting into the Sun Belt and playing against good te- good teams. And as much as Texas State struggled, I think everybody's been. Fairly impressed with their defense, their defense so far good. this year. Um, you know they allow 
JMU put up 40 points on the board, but JMU's own defense was responsible for some of that. <laughs> um, so, you know, Texas State, yeah, they're a team that's going to get some pressure on the quarterback, but yeah. Just the hits from Centeno on Centeno the last couple of games are maybe starting to become a little bit of a concern because, you know, like everybody said, moving from FCS to FBS, it's that week-to-week thing where things kind of start to uh, build on each other. You know, the beating that you take, the the rest, you know, the depth and everything. I think JMU is probably okay with where they are with their backup quarterbacks, Billy Atkins. I think they're you know, fairly confident if they have to throw him into the game. But Todd Santeo's been so good seeing him taking those hits is probably, yeah, like you said, the number one concern coming out of the offense last week. Let's talk something where there wasn't a, to- a ton of concern defensively. <laughs> you know, JMU, once again, pretty dominant. I mean, you take away the touchdown on the last play of the game. A moral victory. Yeah, against, um, against uh, you know, at least second stringers. I don't know. Maybe, 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 third maybe a lot of third stringers on the field for Jamie at that point because, um, you know, Jamie played a lot of guys just kind of in the rotation throughout the game defensively. Um, you take away that touchdown, and the defense is looking, you know, spectacular once again. Yeah, I mean, they put up seven points, you know, on a pick six from Jalen Walker, second pick in a row. You got Torres Jones getting involved with the pick, you know. A lot of things going really well. Get to the backfield, get the hits. Tackles for a loss. They did it all. And I think, you know, defense really hasn't been concerned the whole year, and they proved it again. I mean, you do the math. They've only allowed 13 points, which is their most since, you know, it's only the second most they've allowed this year. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah, when we talked about, you know, the defensive line, the front seven, the linebackers, they've been outstanding kind of as expected, but even more than expected this year so far. Um, They just really shut down things up front. Yeah. but the the secondary has been really solid in the last couple of weeks. Um, we, we mentioned it earlier, you know, true freshman playing there. And it's gotten to the point where it's like, you know, true freshman Chauncey Logan's on the field. One pass was completed against him, and people are kind of like, uh-oh. Because <laughs> like, he's really been excellent otherwise. Brent Austin the same way. Uh, safeties are coming up and hitting and making plays um, two weeks in a row. Just like huge play, huge hits blew up pass plays. Um, you know, one was a game saver for uh, Q Reed against Appalachian state. One led to an interception when the ball goes flying up into the air and uh, Torres Jones is able to come down with it. Um, I've been pleasantly surprised by how well the secondary has played through four games. Yeah, they are. I mean, you know, you talk about the safeties putting hits. You know, one is a game saver, one's a game, you know, tone setter because I was in the first half. And, and, you know, you had Chauncey Logan make his first career start. Probably going to see him start the rest of the year, if I take a guess. You know, this guy who could have been starting week one, missed most of camp with a hamstring injury, and is finally healthy again and is out there playing. Brent Austin coming off the bench playing a lot of snaps. You know, secondary, it's young. We thought they would get tested. They've been tested, and, and they've – pretty much stood up to the task except the second quarter against app outside of that perfect even in the second quarter against app we go back to that for a second 14 of those 28 points are scored on short fields mm-hmm. so you can't really put too much on the defense when they have their backs against the wall already but overall yeah. the secondary's played very well you know they really were the question mark coming in on the defense we knew you know you knew what they were getting out of the defensive line for the most part you knew what you the linebackers were a question but week one kind of solved that answer pretty quick and now the secondary is there so Overall, defense is, is really pl- 
playing, I think, one step ahead of the offense right now. Yeah, if you look at the like quarter-by-quarter quarter breakdown for JMU's defense, they have not given up a point in the first quarter this year. They've given up 28 points in the second quarter, which was all at App State. And like you said, they were faced with a short field a few times on that. Um, but other than that, they've shut teams down completely in the first half of these games. Fourth quarter, the only points they've allowed in the fourth quarter came against their third stringers against Texas State last week. Um, pretty, pretty remarkable. And then, you know, they've given up a couple touchdowns in the third quarters of games like that are legit in the legit scores, but that's only two, like only 14 points in third quarters this year, um, I believe. Or maybe maybe Texas State's one touchdown came in the third quarter. I'm look, I'm trying to think yes, which, which they, direction they were going. Yeah, up 19 nothing in the, in the halftime. So it was in the third yeah. Um, yeah, and I think – so really, the first-string defense playing without their backs against the wall have barely given up any points this season through four games. That – that's one of the most remarkable things, and and it has been noted um, several times that Jamie is one of three teams in the country, along with Michigan, Alabama, ranked in the top ten in uh, you know offensive defensive points. Incredible start just all around, but I don't know if we can say enough about just how good the defense has been, especially when you consider guys that were lost from last year. Yeah, they lost, you know, Weston McCormick, who arguably probably would have been the top corner coming back. They lost Diamante Tucker-Dorsey, this portal. But another thing is, they're the top defense in the country with a first-year defensive coordinator. Yeah, first-year defensive coordinator. I mean, he was obviously very involved with things um, last year. He's uh, calling plays now. Yeah, yeah. Um, that That's a big thing. Also, I think you can't really oversell how well – the staff is able to evaluate underrated recruits yep. at this point. We we talked early in the year. Um, you know, it came out that you know James Carpenter was basically discovered at a camp at Elon. That's an um, offensive lineman. Yeah, and and yeah, and Curtis Agnetti just liked his tape so much that he was able to bring him into JMU as a walk on, and you know he's looking like you know potential all Sun Belt. Defensive lineman right now, the nose guard, um, Brent Austin. Nobody was recruiting him. Like one FCS offer from a not great UC pro- Davis. Yeah, well, okay, UC Davis is pretty good. It was that who it was. Yeah, yeah it was sure somebody. Yeah, but yeah, nobody was really recruiting him. Uh, Chauncey Logan is now starting as a true freshman after missing a lot of the off season. Clearly was prepared, ready, talented enough, athletic enough to play from day one at this level. Had one FBS offer. Um, and the rest was like the from, yeah, Army, yeah. <laughs> a lot of, you know, FCS offers. Totally overlooked even by programs in state. I mean, this guy's in Liberty's backyard. He's in Virginia Tech's backyard. Not to mention, you know, UVA, ODU, recruit the entire state. Jamie's really the only one after this guy. They recognize something. That evaluation is so huge when you look at, you know, what they've lost in the portal and they just had guys ready. Jalen Walker, another one, like had guys just ready to step in. It It's pretty incredible just, you know, how young they are right now on at some spots on defense. And, you know, yeah, the staff just recognized that these guys could play. 
I mean, it's incredible in that, but also, you know, it's incredible that most of these guys are Virginia recruits. Most of them. Some of them aren't. And I think that's a big deal. I mean, obviously, they've been recruiting the whole mid-Atlantic, but that's, a, that's another step. You know, you can look at Sam Kidd, a guy who's been starting a couple of years, but he came to JMU as a walk-on as well. So this is a good staff that's able to get guys that are under-recruited and develop them and turn them into playmakers. Yeah. Yeah, it's really, really remarkable um, how much they've done that. Well, that was Texas State. That game – Frankly, it was not the most exciting thing to watch in the rain, everything. So we can move on to Arkansas State. I believe Sunbelt teams so far this year, the road teams are 0-3 in cross-divisional contests. Look at Shane with the facts. Yeah. Small sample size. But does that suggest that these road trips, the longer road trips in this conference, that is there something to that? Does that challenge make these trips i mean it's gonna be the i think it's their longest road trip of the year um granted they're flying so it's not really too much you're not sitting on the bus for 12 hours but i don't know um you know you're playing a team obviously for the first time which most of these teams they will be but i don't know how big of a, a road trip will actually weigh into it you know they drove to app seemed like they were okay they're flying this time and i don't really think it'll be too big of a, a hassle you know body wise yeah I, I throw out that stat but i actually do think that um I do think that'll change fairly drastically this week because I, I anticipate JMU being able to get a win on the road. I anticipate App State being able to get a win at Texas State. And you have uh, and, uh, ULM and Coastal. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that changes up things uh, a little bit. But for JMU, it is a different animal. You know, they, they bust down to App State. It's not so much the flight itself that's the issue when you're traveling. It's the airport. It's the... You know, getting on buses at different places, different locations, things like that. Um, going to a hotel that, like, probably nobody's ever been to before on this staff. Um, but I don't think it's going to be such a huge issue for Jamie. They've tended to play well on the road, uh, really under Signetti. Yeah. I mean, the, I, I mean, if we're being honest, the even going back to Mike Houston, the quote-unquote bad losses that Jamie's had, a lot of them have come at home. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they're, they're ready to play on the road. I think that, you know, they, especially this year, they're playing with a trip on their shoulder, and I think that's a dangerous team to have. And, of course, Arkansas State, big win this past week over ULM, I believe, homecoming for them. And now they're back at home again against JMU, which I've been told there is a waterfall, so I need to find it. Yeah, I think you'll be able to spot it when you get there. I'm going um, to find the waterfall. Yeah. Um, yeah, it would be interesting to see uh, what kind of JMU contingent makes this trip along with Noah. Um, guessing, you know, most of them would fly to Memphis like, like, like he has. <laughs> Although, you know, there are pockets of JMU alumni all over the country. You know, people from Dallas, Memphis, places like that, where there are some uh, groups of JMU I mean, fans. Louis, maybe. Can, yeah, might be making that trip. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the uh, Little Rock chapter of the Duke <laughs> Club looks like or anything like that. But um, yeah, I imagine from the Western half of the country might be like an enticing trip for some of the for some of the jamie fans um and a place where you know arkansas state has been down from being like probably the premier program in the sunbelt not that long ago they've been down a few years um the attendance shows it uh, there's probably tickets available for jamie fans if they can make it out there uh, I'm, I'm very curious to see what the crowd looks like how much purple's out there for this one 
Yeah, I mean, Arkansas State, look, they've played two home games so far. They've had about 18,000 at both. So it would be the smallest crowd, if that holds, that Jamie will play in front of this year, which, you know, might pose a different animal, right? you gotta you got to create your own energy. You can't feed off the opposition energy, maybe like they did at App when a sold-out crowd. And so we'll see what happens. But, yeah, if you're going out there, let us know. Yeah. Um, on the field, though, what to expect from this Arkansas State team, which, as you mentioned, they rebounded from – a couple of kind of disappointing losses that could have gone the other way. One at Memphis, one at ODU. They rebounded. They took care of Louisiana Monroe. ULM was coming off their own, like, you know, probably one of the biggest victories that program has had in years, beating Louisiana. Um, and Arkansas State came out and took care of business. I think JMU is a much better team than ULM right now. But – is Arkansas State maybe on the verge of kind of turning things back around if you look at the overall? Their record doesn't look like great right now, but it easily could have two more wins on it. I mean, they played Ohio State close, too, in the first half. They were close, at, I believe, at halftime in that one before, you know, the Buckeyes blew the door off of them. But, you know, Arkansas State's a very good team. They've got the good players. They've got a good head coach in Bush Jones, you know, former Tennessee head coach, and he's won in the SEC, and he's back in, in you know, head coach for his second year at Arkansas State, but James Blackman, big-time quarterback, he can throw the ball well, you know, former Florida State recruit, so they've got the pieces. It's a matter of getting them to gel better. Yeah, and we saw the former Arkansas State quarterback this past week, Lane Hatcher, who transferred to Texas State, and he played relatively well against JMU. He's having a solid season, but he's different kind of animal than, mm -hmm. than James Blackman. Um, Blackman seems to be a guy who could – you know, as Jamie's defensive line, if they can disrupt things like they have been, that he can maybe still make something out of a broken play, which is a dynamic. Chase Bryce did a little bit, but that's a dynamic they haven't seen a ton of this year so far. Yeah, it's more of like a Tots and Tail type almost who can get mobile and then make the throws that needed down the field. So we'll see what if they, they, you know, see if they keep a linebacker, kind of spy him a little bit. We'll see, you know. But if the D line gets back there, he might have to run, run around and make something happen by himself. Yeah, and we just praised the young cornerbacks, the, the secondary and everything. Are they going to see a different situation where they got to hold their coverages a little longer as he gets out of the pocket and stuff? Is this going to be the biggest challenge? I don't know. That's a lot to say. It would be the biggest challenge they've faced this year with. I think Chase Bryce you know, like a couple is a of, Yeah, challenge. and, you know, even you know, go back to uh, you know, Cunningham from Middle Tennessee. He's looking good ever since. <laughs> Outside of playing against JMU's defense, he's looked good. Um so maybe not the biggest challenge, but is it a big challenge and a different kind of challenge for the secondary and the cornerbacks in particular? Yeah, it's a different quarterback that they've seen. Yeah, for sure. It's a, it's a, I think it's a different challenge. But I also think, you know, them practicing against their own quarterback might help a little bit. Yeah. How much do you think they uh, get to go against uh, Tots and Teo these days? I know they're going good on good um, going, a lot early in the season. Yeah, yeah, I don't know how much they're doing it now, but they were doing it during – fall camp a lot and i think you know maybe that plays into a factor a little bit you can you, you've had that experience against them but we'll see definitely not hitting todd sente on practice tell you that yeah is there anybody else that stands out for arkansas state right now maybe johnny lang i mean special teams player of the week this week busted a 95 96 something like that yard kickoff return last week so special teams might have their first test of the year yeah jmu special teams have been good outside of you know some issues with the field goal kicking interesting set I also saw, I can't remember who I saw it to, to give credit to, but 
Jimmy's one of the, I think maybe the only team this year that hasn't yeah. had a field goal kicked against them. And, and that got me thinking, you know, they've only attempted, what, like three or four? They've attempted so, three and yeah. it's made two of them. It, it didn't dawn on me until then that, like, we have not seen the field goal units out on the field very much no. through four games. I mean, Jamie's finally ends in a bunch, but Camden Wise has attempted three field goals, all from 27 yards. Yeah. He's made two of them. The one at App, he kind of pushed a little bit, um, but he made the one in the rain this past weekend, so good yeah. for him. Oh, he did have one blocked from oh, also yeah. about tw- – was about 27 or 28 yards. Yeah, it was, it was a chip shot field yeah. that got blocked against Middle Tennessee. So he's, he's yeah. two for four. One really not his fault, the block, but the other one he kind of pushed it a little bit. So. Yeah. So um, ha- they haven't really been challenged in that regard as far as, like, being – feeling a lot of pressure on the uh, the field goal unit. Uh, be interesting to see as things go along. Um, the coverage units have been good, and they'll have to continue to be good, as you mentioned, with uh, playing, going crazy against ULM this week. Um, yeah, be interesting to see if uh, anything, if if ULM or not ULM, Arkansas State can use that to kind of as an equalizer when we're talking about you know JMU kind of having the advantage, especially on defense. Yeah, I think yeah, yeah they could if they can generate shorter fields based on it or points if jamie's special teams coverage can just hold them then i think they'll be fine you know one thing though when you talk about kickoffs we haven't really seen anyone really test the jamie coverage punt unit sam clark has done a good job at getting those hang times up you know against app state who had a pretty good returner he was able to really get a lot of fair catches called and then keep them back there so i think sam clark's done his job i think uh, connor madden on the kickoff has done his job we'll see if they can do it again this week yeah the one other uh, sort of interesting storyline of this one is you know, Jairus Romanique, yep. uh, JMU, defensive back, who played pretty well on Saturday. Recovered um, a fumble. Yeah, get, he's getting a little bit more into the mix for this team. Going against his old team, he's an Arkansas State transfer. I don't know if that's going to be you know much of a deal, but it is one interesting aspect is him heading back to uh, Jonesboro for the first time as – as a JMU player. It is. He played three years there, played pretty well, and, uh, you know, all over the secondary this year, JMU, kind of more of a, a rover role with um, with Chris Chekonecki, and I think, you know, we might see him. He might have a little more motivation. We've already seen JMU, a former player, plays against uh, – we've seen a JMU player play against his former team already in Devin Coles with Norfolk State. He got a fumble recovery on that one, so we'll see if that can happen. It'll be brought up a few more times later this year when, you know, Marshall comes to town and, and things like that, and, you know, a couple more players get to square off with their former team. Yeah. All right, but before we wrap it up, any final thoughts, predictions about how this one's going to go for JMU down in Jonesboro, Arkansas? I'll take the Dukes 35-14. to 14. That sounds like a pretty good one. I haven't even seen the line on this one. 10. 10, yeah. It'll get a little more respect at home than uh, Texas State did on the road against JMU. But, uh, yeah, I I tend to think JMU will come home 5-0 and oh, and the – talk of what the ceiling for this team might be will continue for at least one more week i got one question for you okay if jamie comes back to virginia five and oh are they 25th in the country depends on how some other teams do because they're, they're picking up steam there are a lot of there are a lot of teams in the bottom third of the top 25 that are underdogs this week so could we could <laughs> see something um yeah, it'll be interesting. I don't think they'll be quite in the top 25 yet, but I think they'll be knocking on the door. Well, we'll see you on Sunday afternoon. Yeah. All right, well, that'll do it for us. 
for another week of the Purple and Bold podcast. I'm Shane Metlin. You've been listening to me with Noah Fleischman. Uh, we're your beat writers covering JMU at the Daily News Record, and thank you for listening.